1: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petham finally back for another podcast. I haven't done one since November 18th. It feels like it's been about three years for me being one that feels like he's either editing, uploading, or on a podcast himself for the last several years. So... Uh, my excuses now are going to be I'm slightly rusty. So if I say something slightly naive, stupid, or out of character, let's blame a little bit of rust. But like the Villa players, of course, we're we're back in prime fitness, and hopefully, I will be too by the end of this podcast. Of course, we are joined by Mr. Simon O'Regan as well, the World Cup traveller himself. We will have a World Cup special a little bit delayed, but that'll be coming out very shortly as well. But anyways, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa with a 3-1 loss at Villa Park at the hands of Liverpool. About a million chances for Villa, but it didn't come off. But nonetheless, Simon was there, so I'm going to go to him with plenty of insight and hopes that he can guide us with his bald-headed wisdom so Simon I haven't made fun of you in a long time so I had to throw (laughs) it in there how are you yeah I'm not too bad in spite of that cruel attack on
0: my uh, phonically challenged appearance but uh, yeah I'm not too bad had a good Christmas about yourself
1: all good Yeah, all good. Can't complain. Everybody's happy. Puppy's a little bit uh, moany after uh, losing his manhood. But uh, (laughs) all in all, it's been a week of experience. Let's not go into that because I don't think people want to hear that. And if you're eating your breakfast or something during this, I do apologize. But uh, yeah, let's get into the game. Seb was meant to join us, but he decided he was too cool for us and needed a little bit of R&R before his next appearance. So it'll just be us. What did you make of the game yesterday? Of course, I did reference about a million chances it felt like Villa had. Of, of course, the XG nerds will maybe point to another thing. But with the quality of chances we had, we might as well start there. It really felt like we should have had more, shouldn't it?
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, to create that amount of chances against, you know, a top team like Liverpool have had a stuttering start to the season, but, but they're still one of the best teams around. Yeah. Um, You've you've got to be taking some of those chances that that we squandered if you're going to get anything out of that game, and it's kind of sort of you looking at the game and all the way through. I always felt that that Liverpool were the better team and and were had a relative amount of control, but yeah, at the same time, we still we created so many chances against Sevens. It was really disappointing that that we didn't get anything more out of it, especially in that that second half. You know, I I thought we came out. Looking really, really good. Obviously, pulled the goal back, and and you're thinking that there's a chance to nick something here. But then, having said that, I, I did always feel that that we looked vulnerable to conceding on the break, um, especially with Darwin Nunes for them. I, th- I thought his pace causes problems all night long, and, and I think I I thought we we got caught with balls in behind the fullbacks quite a lot as well, which, which was a real problem. But but I thought we'd caught them out with with balls over the top as well. I thought they really struggled to deal with it. Um so you kind of you're coming away disappointed that we've lost. It's a game I kind of expected us to probably lose anyway. But I think there are positives there, but we really do need to, to sort out what's going on in front of goal
1: if if we want to progress up that table. Absolutely. And I, of course I, sh- I should address the goal scorers yesterday, of course, Mohamed Swah scoring in the Fifth minute, assisted by Andy Robertson, Virgil van Dyke scoring in the 37th, assisted by Mohamed Salah. And uh, we're going to call him Young Stefan, the 18-year-old Spanish fella from Liverpool. Of course, scoring in the 81st minute, I should say, for them. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name, just to not insult Uh, Spanish people are people that think I'm illiterate. So let's avoid that. And of course, Ollie Watkins scoring in the 59th minute from a uh, very wonderfully taken Douglas Louise uh, delivery cross, I guess you could call it. But of course, let's start with Ollie Watkins. I mean, he finishes one chance, the one chance we probably think he should have, kind of, Uh, maybe, I don't know. Like a lot of people were saying that that's maybe one that, you don't expect him to finish and the others you do, which I, I can see that point of view. But of course, earlier on I had a kind of a half chance running with the defender, had to take that as a quick pop shot, didn't really get it off. And then of course the one-on-one with the goalkeeper. I mean, we were saying this before recording, but I mean the man one-on-one with the goalkeeper, it's, I don't know, give me anybody else at this point.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like watching Gabby Aguilar when he first came through as a young it's so he, he seems to me he's kind of he's one of those finishers that if he's got time to think about what he's doing, he is almost like he overthinks it and, and really struggles. Yet the instinctive ones, or the goal he actually scores, oh God, I actually think that probably was the hardest chance. But it's almost like he, he didn't have to think, like he, he was sort of back backpedaling. There was only one place that he could put the header, and that's where it went. But you look at those, the chance in the first half, I mean, that first one where he took up the volley early. To be fair, I haven't seen it again on the TV, but it, to me, it looked like he, he could have let it drop down a bit lower. I, I don't know, maybe you've seen it again. I, I don't know, it was a defender closing in, he had to take it that yes, part, slightly. But, Yeah. But then, like the one on one in the first half, which I, I think he was flagged offside for anyway, but, but regardless, you, you still, you've got to be putting those chances away because he may well have been on. The heads are in the first half as well. I mean, he, he sees it coming all the way. And. I don't, really don't think there's any excuse for, for missing a header like that, sort of five yards out. But I, I always I don't really ever want to properly criticise Watkins because I, I think, as we were saying before we started recording, I think he's he's a really good player. He's got so many good qualities and, and offers us a lot. And he does score a, a fairly decent amount of goals, really. If you look at his records since he's been with us in the Premier League, like, it's, it's quite a healthy number. But he does. He his finishing is nowhere near as consistent as we need. It, he, uh, we need him to be, especially if, if we want to like sort of seriously be progressing to try and finish in sort of top six, seven, eight. You, you can't have strikers missing chances like that, and especially against opposition like that, where where you really, really need to make the most of the opportunities you get because it's, it's rare that you get that many, and we just we squandered far too many. Really, but it's. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's, I mean, I think we've all said so many times, if you could combine Watkins and Inks into one player, it would be brilliant. But um, I I suspect we'll be in the market for Stryker in January.
1: Yeah, you, you do say that, Simon, and it's kind of, to go off topic, of course, to bring up January, because it is, of course, coming up very, very soon. Like, really, what are your expectations for it? I'm interested to get your opinion, and I'm sure me and some of the other guys will have that kind of discussion down the road as it as it comes up, and we rotate through our normal crew here on the whole cast. But what are your expectations realistically? Like, I feel like January's never really solved anything. Of course, you can think back to last January and continue coming in, and it was a brilliant start, and it just slowly kind of petered out as that. Uh, kind of continued on and now evidently it feels like we're, we're stuck with a player that is, has no value. Evidently, that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um And another massive hit, like it's going to probably take, but to bring in a striker in January, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to bring up any names or anything like that. Cause we're not in the no kind of people, but do you think it's really possible to bring in that attacking threat that we need that can really make a difference to a, a Walkin's earnings? Well, it can
0: be done. I mean, Sort of you're going back a long way here, but we got John Carew and Ashley Young in the January transfer window way back when, and I think Liverpool signed Luis Suarez in the January transfer window. So it's it's not impossible. Like the the old cliches are, it's difficult to sign players in January, and 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 like that that is true, especially sort of you looking at to, to sign like a more top end player. But but it's definitely possible, I, I, and I do think it's something that that we'll need to do, and I think it's something that Emery would be quite keen on. And I I suspect that he'll have sort of been given assurances that that there'll be money there in January to spend, and that he'll be bats. I mean, you mentioned last January; i they backed Gerrard with Coutinho and Luke Dean as well. Obviously, came into January, so I I I think that. I think we'll definitely try to do business, but, you know, as we've sort of said, you don't really know what names they'll be looking for and, you know, whether the players that we're after, you know, the clubs may not be so so keen to get rid of them. So, I, I don't think, if, if no one, like, if there's no big signings coming in, I don't think it'll be for the lack of trying. I think we will try and do some business. Uh, and I, I think I think they'll probably look to try and get two sort of big players in a strike and a wide player as well. Because the system that seemingly we Everyone likes to play with the sort of four-two-three-one. You need wide players, and the only one we've, we've got is Bailey, because you know obviously Gerard's decided <laughs> did his best to try and get rid of all all the wingers we've got. So, so I think we'll need people in. Um, but Yeah, like we sort of says, it's 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 difficult to really
1: predict what will happen in that January window. Absolutely. I I do think a wide player is basically guaranteed. That's everything you read and just, you can tell, I mean, no disrespect to the likes of Trezeguet and El Ghazi, et cetera, et cetera, and Traore. But realistically, I don't really think they would have made a difference under Unai Emery. And I don't think they would have added what we need. We need a ball carrier in the midfield out wide as well. And we need more pace Um, up front's a different matter. I mean, whether it's, Things eventually coming in for Watkins or vice versa. And Watkins kind of figures things out again and recaptures some of that form that's kind of shown in glimpses to, to be shown. But I mean, at the end of the day, we'll have to wait and see. If it is a striker, in my opinion, it's coming over from overseas or um, another league, I guess you would have to say, because I cannot see a Premier League striker coming to us. We, it, I can't see us spending... And seeing who that would actually be to make that difference. Um, let's let's not bring in like a, a Grant hold esque player and hope that works <laughs> out. So that that's always one that comes to my mind in January. Um, maybe that that speaks to where I've kind of come into my Villa fandom. I mean, but
0: to be fair, I, I think those days. Well, fingers crossed. Such words here. I'm pretty sure those days have gone for us. Where we're looking for Norwich sissy offs to come in in
1: January. Oh, well, I, I freaking hope so, because <laughs> if if that if that is the case, I think I would lose even whatever is left in my hair. Because to be honest, Simon, of course, this is not a visual podcast. But if I put my head down, <laughs> I'm starting to lose a little bit of hair on one side of my head, right about here on my right side. So it, it is what it, it is. Happened, happens to all the best people, mate. It's wisdom. That's why wise <laughs> people do not need hair. That's why Seb has so much of it. But regardless of that, let's get back on to the game. Of course, I mean, Like we have said, missed opportunities. Of course, we can think of John McGinn's header. The man loves a header when he doesn't have to take. When Leon Bailey uh, missing a few chances where he really should have at least hit the target. I can think of one. I can't remember the player that knocked it right into the box coming in from the right-hand side of the Liverpool box. Where Watkins really should have just got into the middle there and he could have tapped at home. But... I mean, there's clear impressions, at least for me, Simon, under Unai Emery. His system is working. Yes, the the high line at the back is concerning. You have to almost have precision, perfect passing to really make sure that's working and everything's flowing correctly. And I, I do understand there's going to be a little bit of teething there. I, I don't think that back line is going to be the same back line next summer. Obviously, there's going to be changes there, whether it's full backs or center backs, probably center backs realistically. Um, at that point in time but kind of moving things forward a bit I mean what did you make of the midfield yesterday I thought Bubakar Kamara had one hell of a second half John McGinn honestly was very impressive I thought a lot of people really kind of wrote him off throughout various stages of the game which I thought was odd because I thought he was very engaged but what did you make of the midfield in general because I feel like for so long, it's been, oh, the midfield's been the biggest issue. And now it's, well, now we can't score or, or now we can't defend. So what did you make of the middle of the pitch?
0: Again, like sort of like we said earlier about the, the game itself, where, you know, obviously, kind of like Liverpool seemed to be in control, but we created so many chances. I thought the midfield was similarly sort of inconsistent, really. I thought at times they really struggled, especially in the first half. I thought they found it tough to get on the ball. But then there were glimpses throughout the game where, where it did work quite well. We, we sort of we carved Liverpool open and, and created, you know, so, so many chances that we, we did create. Um, I agree with what you said about Kamara. I thought in the second half he was absolutely outstanding. Um, first half, you know, I think he, he struggled to get on the ball. When he did, you saw his passing range and what he can do. But I thought he really uh, sort of took the game by the scruff of the neck in, in that second half. Um sort of his interceptions and reading of the game was brilliant, but his his ability on the ball was really, really impressive as well. Uh and I thought Louise improved in the second half. I thought he had I thought he really struggled in the first half, but I thought he got better. McGinn, I thought he was one of those sort of 50-50 games that he has. I think there were some things that he did really well, but again, I, I think his his decision making on the ball, especially in the final thirds and the passes he picks, up, I think he, he just gives the ball away far too much. And I thought Buendia, for as hard as he works, as he always does, again, I, I thought in the crucial moments that that final pass just wasn't quite there. Um, but, you know, as as we sort of said earlier, other than Oxlade Chamberlain, that's probably Liverpool's full, full strength, like first 11 that they put out. And so you, you do at times have to remember you know, the the level of opposition you're playing against. And in any game of football, you're never, or it's very rare that you're going to have total control for the entire 90 minutes. There's going to be periods in the game where the other team have, you know, uh, spells of decent possession and get on top. And I thought, I thought in general, they, the midfield kind of did okay. I, I thought the biggest problem was the amount of times we got caught out with with high balls over the top. And especially... Uh, sort of crossfield balls in behind the fullbacks, which I was I was quite surprised at really, because obviously we we know that Emery's you know such a detailed coach and you know, really really studies opposition and and sort of drills players constantly. So I, I kind of thought you know everyone knows one of Liverpool's biggest strengths is the ability of Robertson and Alexander Arnold to play those passes, and I was. I was was a bit disappointed actually with how often, especially in that first half, we we got
1: caught out like that. Well, the thing too, really, and you're you're going on about the fullbacks, I thought how easily it was the the space between the centre-backs of Kanz and Mings was something I really noticed yesterday. And of course, that's going to happen when you have two centre-backs that aren't natural ball-playing centre-backs. And of course, this is where you hope Diego Carlos comes back and he's still the same player and he's not... Another poor investment that didn't work out because of an injury. It feels like we've had too many of those um, for various reasons not work out. But um, I, I I don't know. It's, it's almost like you have to, I can't say we're suffering because it's still six out of nine points for Unai Emery in his early reign at Villa Park. But at the end of the day, we're going to have to be patient for the next month or so and hope that whatever additions and little moves we can make, because we have to do, we have to remember as well, there's going to be a few exits here. And I feel like there's going to be a few surprising ones as well. It feels like by the way that you can see who's continually playing under Unai Emery in the early days and who isn't and who isn't our players we just brought into which is kind of scary to think about but regardless of that um that'll be have to be something to be discussed for a january transfer special or something but let's get over to some of the twitter um comments questions concerns that people sent in i asked for them roughly about an hour ago and uh we'll just kind of go through some of them some of them we've already discussed so just to give it a shout out to peter stevens um he was kind of bringing up we need a clinical striker uh to really get up into the european spaces is that realistic signing at the moment we've already discussed that but i just kind of wanted to give him a shout out and i think there was one other person as well i think it was uh, muhammad shaba was also mentioning that as well in regards to a striker so we've already covered that but shout it to you guys and thank you guys very much for the support there's one here that i wanted to get to from um at car was it car car villain or curvy 11 a n um god i'm blind any glasses apparently because i can't even read that he says thoughts much better playing style and clear identity against liverpool of course his question is and simon i'll give this to you what is it that kanza offers this team and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: I think, I think that's slightly unfair on him. Um, I, there's no doubt that he's not playing as well as he has played for us before. But I still I do think there's a good defender there. Um, I think probably his biggest problem is going forward is going to be... He's he's not the best on the ball. Um, you know, his passing out isn't great. But I I do think he, he offers quite a bit to the team. And um, you know, you sort of you look at Emory's first two games, especially I, I thought him and Mings played quite well against Manu and Brighton. Um so yeah, it's sort of it's, it's one of those that I, I think if you're looking at people who are likely to be replaced going forward, I definitely think that he's he's one of those who could find himself out the team and I think when Carlos is fit, i suspect from sort of the, the current playing squad that he, it would be Carlos and Mings would be the partnership at the back. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be willing to, to write him off just yet because you think back especially to that uh, that COVID season, you know, he was absolutely outstanding, and you, you could argue he's probably the best English sense about playing in the league that season. Um, you know, whether he's you know, you hear the stories of players that that excelled in that COVID season because the crowd weren't there, there may be an element of that, but I, I, I. I've never really looked at Cons as someone who sort of like crumbles under pressure or something. like that. He, He's always tended to, to be, you know, sort of have a calm demeanor about him. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's been terrible this season. I, I think last season he had a bit of trouble, but I actually think this year, even towards the end of the Gerrards, I, I, I thought in general he was improving. So I, I think there's there's still a, a good player in there, but he. he he probably needs to step it up a bit over the next couple of weeks, especially.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's a little harsh, like you mentioned there, Simon to really write him off or anything. It's, it's unclear whether or not he's peaked and that's really the high, highest heights of his powers. I guess it's yet to be seen unless he leaves Villa in the near future, but all in all, we'll probably make a profit based on what Villa played for him, paid for him. And that's the most important thing, but all in all, I mean, it, it's such an odd one because I always thought, you know, what if if Ming's ever left and cons is going to be there for years, and if we can get someone in that's even better than Ming's, then that's our center back partnership for the next five plus years or something like that. That has a set. But right now, given the way that Emery wants us to play, of course, you need ball movers. I and unfortunately, he is not a ball mover. We don't really have. And he probably aside from Diego Carlos, who's of course yeah. still working his way back. So it, it's it's so tricky to really throw it on him because if that's the case, then you might as well throw it on basically every centre back at the football club aside from Diego Carlos.
0: But well, the thing is, as well, Cons is only 25, exactly. which is quite young for a centre back. You know, a, a lot of centre backs don't really sort of reach their peak until they get to sort of like 28, 29, even 30. Um, so I, yeah, like we said, I I don't think he's someone that you'd, you'd be looking to write off, but I, I don't think his um, position as a starter is, is going to be guaranteed anytime soon.
1: Absolutely. Uh Villain also asks, um, I'll slightly adjust this question to make it a little bit more general because he says, can Cameron Archer be given a proper chance? But I'll switch to can slash will Cameron Archer be given a chance? Quickly, I'm going to probably say he's going out on loan in January because he just needs it. But where do you stand with that, Simon?
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think he'll, he'll be sent out on loan. I mean, you he, he kind of, I don't really see him forcing his way in ahead of Ings and Watkins just because we're sort of the position that we're in now. It's very unlikely that a manager, especially when he's just come in, is going to you know, start with such a young lad. And with us, probably going to be looking to sign a strike in January as well. I think the best thing, send him out on loan again and then
1: It allows Emery to sort of have a proper look again then next summer. Absolutely. And of course, his one concern that he put in, and I, I think there is a few more if I scroll down here, uh, Paul Foster mentions uh, a backup goalkeeper. Carvillens says concerns Robin Olsen. I think there's about two or three more that mentioned Robin Olsen as well, who I can't remember if he won Swedish player of the year, or Sweden, the best Swedish goalkeeper of the year or something like that. Um, either way, the standards in Sweden must be very low. That's all I can ever say. Um, I don't know. I do I'm not going to say he's any worse than some goalkeepers in the past, but we've had some absolutely terrible ones like the, who, who was the Portuguese fellow we had in the championship that Uh, we brought in? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we've had him, of course. Um, I mean, I don't want to throw a Mark bun in there because he does follow the, the Twitter page, but it wasn't the greatest either. I mean, the list probably goes on and on. And Simon, you could probably think of even more. But uh, yeah. I'll never, I'll, I'll never put Nyland in there. He saved us. That's all I can say. Uh, you, you see, <laughs>
0: I, I was going to say, like I, I, thought we'd, we'd really have to go some to, to find a worse keeper than, than Neyland, But Ah uh, Olsen, he's um, God, I think he's awful. Like really, really poor. And we, <laughs> I think we desperately are going to have to try and sign a backup keeper in January, or pray that Jed
1: Steer gets himself fit again. Well, Nyland. Rogue VAR, so he is therefore the greatest goalkeeper in the world. That's all I can say. But yeah, no, it's it, it's one of those things. I think when he came in, it was a cheap and cheerful thing. It really, I mean, I think we all thought it was a safe pair of hands. Um, and then I, I saw all this incoming kind of uh, swarming of concern from Sheffield United fans. I think it was. He said he's absolutely crap, and I thought, oh no, what have we done here? So we've only continued. The, uh the tradition hopefully Jed steer comes back and saves the day because I would love to see him stick around for a little bit longer but to be honest I probably do with that and for the betterment of his career he probably should move on and actually play some minutes um let me see if there's any more here that we can kind of mention here Uh, Simon Palmer saying as mentioned before Olsen isn't good enough like we've just kind of uh, referenced there briefly Liverpool were so open and I'm sure Ings would have finished a couple at least if he started two steps forward and one step back and I mean Simon that's kind of always been the thing that Villa has in it though it's either, of course, we've moaned about needing a defensive midfielder, but we can score goals, or we can't score goals. We don't have a midfield, but the defense is playing well. Um, it, it's never a fully well-oiled machine, is it? No, but
0: I, I don't know if I'd agree <laughs> with with that sentiment of two steps forward, one step back. I, I think, so if we just say, like, beating Manu, beating Liverpool, and then lost to Brighton, you yeah. can maybe make that argument, but you know, losing that home to Liverpool, if you look at the chances we've we created as well, I, I don't think, I do you can come away from that thinking, God, everything's terrible. You, you know, if you look at um some of the defeats to the bigger teams under Gerard, for example, you, you came away from there, sort of, you know, you've lost a game, you think, oh, we're expecting to lose a game, but you've you've had no idea what the team were trying to do anyway. I, I think at least now, like, you, know, you can clearly see what they're looking to do and for you know, decent spells in the game, they did that as well. So, I, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't sort of be coming away from that game thinking, "Oh God, we've taken a step backwards." I, I if anything, actually think there's sort of encouraging signs from it. And I, I think um, I saw, I think it on match of the day. It might have been when Klopp was doing his interview, and he he was saying, he said that he said Villa Park's always a difficult place to go anyway. And he said, I think we've seen tonight that in the next few weeks is, this is going to become an extremely difficult place for people to come.
1: So they were absolutely delighted to walk away with three points. Absolutely. Like, for me, I'm not worried about it at all. Like, you, you come, like, I mean, under Gerard, unless it felt like it was Man City, we were somehow competitive against the best team in the country, basically. Of course, Arsenal fans will feel very differently about that statement. But regardless of that, as per last season, it just, like you said there, Simon, you had no clue what the hell was going on formation tactically within a few games. You can see that Unai Emery has a plan. It's not just, okay, we have this manager who has some charisma and can lead us into a little bit of a bounce. There's a clear identity pathway plan and hopefully that carries itself into the transfer market. It carries positive momentum into the rest of the season. And realistically, I mean, I I think there's kind of a hard kind of sense of reality that, some Villa fans need to face. And I think there was so much positivity into the summer coming into the new season that we all thought, or at least most people maybe thought, you know what, this is really going to have a go this season. This is our season. Do you think there's maybe, I don't want to speak for people, but maybe being at Villa park or talking to, local fans do you ever get that sense that there's almost some people that are kind of holding on to that hope and right now i know una emery's come in there's more excitement so it kind of reestablishes that that optimism but at this point do you think it's kind of just one of those things where you have to sit back it's time to reset see where things go and not kind of have so much expectation at this point in the season
0: possibly but it it depends what that expectation is, if, if people are thinking like a, a top six challenge, and obviously we're, we're so far off that. I'm just looking at the table now, and we're six points off Brighton in seventh. You, you know, there's there's still a long way of the season to go. We're not even halfway through it, and I'm not saying that. Oh yeah, we, we can definitely finish seventh or make a push for six or whatever. But I think I think we've seen enough in the first three games that that the the, the, play, the players sort of know what they're doing now or certainly have a better idea of what they're supposed to be doing. Um and you know six points is easily made up. It, it's, it's not an insurmountable amount with so much of the season to go. We've got a transfer window to come. We've got some really good players in that squad, especially going forward. The midfield now with Kamara and Louise looks so much better. You've got Dendonka as well who's a really solid option in there if you need I, I think I think there's a concern in, in the defence, and and that's maybe where some fans may need to temper expectation. And and also, you've got a team that hasn't really been coached properly for, for a while, and now they've got someone in who's so meticulous and stuff. Like I, I think there will be speed bumps along the way, and and maybe yeah, this season may be a bit too soon to sort of make a push for top seven or top eight. Um, so. In that sense, I don't think there should be an expectation that we're going to do that. But I, I, don't, think, I don't think there's any, anything wrong with fans sort of having the hope that, that, that's, that that's a possibility, because I, I I think it is. But I think if we can finish, we could get a top 10 finish, which I don't think is an unrealistic expectation for, for fans to have, then I think that represents a, a decent season. And I think it's certainly something that's that's more than achievable.
1: Absolutely. And like, I'm just looking at the the next kind of upcoming games. Of course, we have Spurs on Sunday, New Year's Day, Uh, Wolves Wednesday, January 4th, only three day break. And then, of course, four days later, you're going into an FA Cup third round tie against Stevenage, which it's going to be so interesting to see what kind of like priorities kind of are arranged in Unai Emery's head in terms of Who starts against Spurs versus Wolves? Well, we need to make sure we get through against Stevenage because we know we can absolutely cock that up. Let's be honest. I just would not be shocked given how, how Villa have done themselves very poorly in the past in cup competition, which is supposed to be Emery's specialty as it's been stated with proof and cups and trophies and success in the past. So it'll be very interesting to see how the next three or four games. I guess you could even throw um, leads at home in there on January 13th because it's only five days after the FA Cup tie. So all in all, I mean, these are games where we can prove ourselves. Like, I mean, Spurs, to be honest, have been very up and down this season with Antonio Conte. They really shot themselves in the foot yesterday and had to come back against a Brentford side that evidently are consistent and inconsistent as they are one way or the other of course we all know where Wolves are and of course they've brought in I think was it uh, Cunha from I think it's Atletico Madrid who apparently is going to save the day according to the media Um, of course like I said Stevenage will have to wait and see and Leeds are of course struggling down there and who knows what's going to go on with their managerial situation as the rest of the season continues so there's definitely points there there's optimism of course no game's easy nothing's guaranteed but all in all I mean I want fans to be positive and I'm sure you do too, Simon, but at the end of the day, I think it's also important to hold expectations to some degree, because if we're all thinking we're going to finish in the top six somehow, then, well, this summer is going to be the most negative thing Uh, in all of Villa's history. Yeah. I mean, I,
0: I'd be very surprised if there's many Villa fans who are thinking that a top six is going to be <laughs> really sick. But you, you look at that run of fixtures, I think after Leeds, we're away at Southampton as well, and that's actually that's, uh, that's like still the end of January. That's, a, that's not a bad run of fixtures to have, I think. I mean, top number way... So if you're looking at it on paper and think that that'll be a tough game. And, and it will be. But it's a game where there's definitely an opportunity to get something from it. Just, you say you look at them yesterday against Brentford and actually how they've been for quite a well while under Conte, they, they, they don't tend to start too well. The What we'll have to do is what we didn't do yesterday is, is make the most of the chances that we get against them, especially in that first half. And, you know, if you, you, can, you can take an early lead, they'll go into halftime winning. I think the crowds might might get quite restless there. And then you look the games after that. You know, it was just like looking at the league games: Wolves at home, Leeds at home, Southampton away. They're they're decent game. There's opportunities to, to get points. I know Wolves got a late win yesterday, but they're still down there struggling. Leeds are struggling. Southampton are. So I think be interesting. Come the end of January, after that, those uh, the next four games to see where we are on the table. I think with whatever business we may do as well. I think we'll have probably a better idea of, of what the rest of the season will look like for us. But um, yeah, there's definitely real opportunity for us to go
1: and set a market down for the rest of the season, I think. Absolutely, of course. And even looking at Spurs' schedule, of course, after us on Wednesday, January 4th as well, they have Palace and then three days after. So they're only playing, they only have three-day breaks between games really um they're going or they're hosting uh pompey so i mean of course it's a little bit different when you're playing a a lower tier side and maybe that's a little bit of different mentality but it's really it's one day less rest with three games there so it's gonna be interesting to see how antonio conte essentially manages us than palos And then, of course, Portsmouth in mind as well. There's going to be a little bit of rotation, I would expect, for their side to say the least. Of course, they're still fourth. They're on 30 points. We have to give them some respect. They still Mm. do have Harry Kane, and the list goes on and on. They're a very talented squad and can beat the best on any given day. So you have to keep that in mind. But looking at their past games, really, they've what? They lost to. Forrest in the third round of the EFL Cup, they narrowly beat Spurs, I think, or not Spurs, sorry, they narrowly beat Leeds 4-3. Uh, yeah. I think that was, if I'm thinking correctly, all the way back to November 12th, I feel like that was a little bit of a fluke at the end, how they won that. Mm. And then, of course, drawing against in a friendly drawing, coming back to draw against Brentford yesterday um, on Saturday. I mean, really, it, it's a good time to play them, if any. So all in all, what would you say if it was a score prediction by chance?
0: I'm gonna go positive and say two one villa.
1: I I think we're gonna we're gonna go there and do that. That's good because I said that on a Spurs podcast we we're gonna beat them two one <laughs> villa and that went out on today being Sunday. So or not Sunday. While wow, my days are absolutely screwed up. What day is it today? It is tuesday um of course you guys are hearing this a little later on the wednesday this is what the christmas season does to everybody i don't even know what days i work anymore what day it is Um, (laughs) next thing i know it'll be sunday again and i won't even realize that so i think it's good to wrap things up there guys thank you very much for joining me see i'm still not making very much sense but hopefully by the next time i'm on this podcast i'll be a little bit more back into full fitness and words can come out of my mouth correctly but anyways thank you very much to Mr. Simon O'Regan for joining me. You can find him on Twitter at Cy O'Regan. Follow me on Twitter at Talk Aston Villa. Tweet the team at 7500 to hold. Of course, check out the website, www.7500 to And of course, like I said, we should hopefully have a Spurs preview. Uh, opposition preview out prior to that game on New Year's day hopefully i say i'm not sure if exactly it'll happen but regardless we've had a little bit of chat today so hopefully you enjoyed that and hopefully we can go in with a nice victory a little bit more positivity going in post spurs and we'll just be a happy bunch of villa fans but anyways we'll leave it there and don't forget up the villa